I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Intercooler Podcast, everybody. Um, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here. Now, you may know already that we have a partnership with Bonhams. Um, now, Bonhams has a big auction coming up later on this month, August 19th, um, during Monterey Car Week. It's the quail sale. Um, and so for us, really, it's an opportunity to talk about some beautiful old cars. So yes, between us... Truly other cars and catalogues, which well, I spend most of my time doing anyway. It's, it's always enjoyable, isn't it? The sale is August 19th, 11am local time, 7pm UK time. There'll be a link in the description. Um, Andrew, we can, we've done this once before um, with, through our partnership with Bonhams. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the cars that leap out at us. Um, I've been, we've both, both been leafing through the catalogue. Um, and really, it's the variety of stuff um, that, that's truly remarkable here. All ages, all different types yeah. of car. Um, it's actually a huge consignment, isn't it? I've tried to be a bit sort of strict with myself because I could bang on about pre-war cars um, until the cows come home, but I think that's probably not where our audience is at. <laughs> so I've, I've left all, and there are if you are, if, they are, if you are interested in that, there are loads of those in the catalogue too. But I've kind of left those out. Well, I know there's one in there um, because it's beautiful, but um, in my list. But yeah, um, let's crack on. Can I do a motorbike? Let's start with the motorbike. I've never spoken about a motorcycle in this podcast. It's going to be the first <laughs> time ever. I know nothing about motorcycles at all. And yet. Um, and yet, and yet, and yet, and yet. Um, there is a Husqvarna trail bike. Trail bike? Trail bike. Don't know. Husqvarna 400 um, that is up for sale. Uh, it's a 1971 bike and it's quite scruffy. It's, you know, it hasn't run for decades and it's in this sale and it's guiding at $130,000 to $180,000 because it was so the property of... There'll be something significant then, won't there? Was it, was it ridden on the moon or... It, it, it <laughs> wasn't ridden on the moon, no. no. It's not so much where it was ridden as <laughs> who it was who rode it. Okay, um, go on. And the bike is today in the condition of as it was if that's even english the last time it was ridden by its owner one stephen terence mcqueen 
So it's uh-huh. a it's an important bit of McQueen memorabilia. Um, McQueen, as I'm sure lots of people know, um, was far more into bikes than he was into cars, uh, and he was and he was an extremely accomplished bike rider, probably better on a bike than in a car, in fact. Um, and if you go and look at this thing. It just looks, it just looks proper. And I, you know, and it really does look like it was the last time he rode it. And it's just, uh, but the problem is, you've got something like that. You'd just want to ride it, wouldn't you? You'd want mm. to fire it up. But you'd know that every moment you spent doing that, everything you had to do to it to get it going again, you'd be sort of spoiling that legacy. Mm. And at the moment, it's like sort of preserved in aspect. It's a kind of time, time capsule. I mean, I, I think you need to be a sort of Steve McQueen obsessive, which I'm absolutely not. Um, to want to do that but i just thought it was interesting um, and i wanted to talk about a bike because i never have <laughs> well there we go we've got up, got that out of the way cool thing um clearly looking through the the lots here clearly if you want a beautifully preserved classic you go to california because the weather's great um and there's huge appreciation for those cars over there as well so it's it's no surprise is it really that this this auction is packed full of beautiful 50s and 60s sports cars. There are several original 911s, several E-types. Um, we'll be back to E-types shortly. Um, I saw at least two Mercedes 300 SLs, a Lotus Elan, Alphas. There's a Mura guiding for around $2 million. Um, yeah, it's, but that is the place to go, isn't it, for, the, for a certain and, and type also, of car? It, well, for a certain sort of car, yeah. I mean, certainly out there, they are very big on condition. Um, that's why you get these, what they call 100-point cars, cars that have basically been restored to within an inch of their lives. Uh, and there are two schools of thought in that. One is that they are absolutely stunning, beautiful machines. Uh, and the other is that, you know, there will be those who say, because they're so beautiful, that mm. encourages people not to use them because, you know, that might um, make them less beautiful. So, you know, I'm not going to say in judgment one way or the other, but it is for a certain sort of car. Um, it is absolutely the place to go. And there are so many utterly gorgeous cars in that catalogue, aren't there? Uh, and as you say, from right across the spectrum, racing cars, road cars, old cars, new cars, I mean, there's even a, a 718 Cayman GTS in there um, and cars that are well over 100 years old. So, you know... Just you know, just go and look at the catalogue. Even if you never do any more than browse through it and read the descriptions and look at the card, you will find something in there that's of, of, of interest. Yeah, yeah. Follow the link in the description, and you'll be able to find the catalogue there. Um, so go on, hit me with something. Well, I think the the sort of one of the headline cars, maybe the headline car of the whole sale, is the 1963 lightweight E-Type Jaguar. Um, yeah, yeah. A very very special thing because it's one of twelve. Um, so it's a super rare car. This is number seven. Um, and it was raced at Le Mans in period in 1963. Um, yeah. I just think it's a gorgeous thing. And I'll explain why in a moment. But can you fill us in on some of the, the background of this car? Well, this is one of three cars that Briggs Cunningham, uh, you, you may have heard of Briggs Cunningham, you may have heard of the, of the Cunningham brand that he raced at Le Mans quite successfully in the 1950s. Big things with big V8s in them. Um, and you know, Briggs was a, I think he made it to an immense age. He might've been a hundred and something when he died. I can't remember, but, um, he was a great American car enthusiast. Um, and he brought a team of three of these cars, um, to Le Mans in 1963. Uh, this was the second of the three cars. Um, and it retired, I think with a gearbox problem reasonably early. Another one had a big crash, uh, but was able to continue and finished. And the third one had a big accident 
Um, so, yeah, but I mean, one of the wonderful things about these cars is the colour scheme. Um, you know, the right white with the blue stripes. Uh, as you say, they're incredibly rare. The whole Cunningham thing gives them a, a sort of an angle which uh, others don't have. I mean, it's kind of... And also the other thing is, although the lightweight E-types weren't that competitive in period, I mean, they were never going to keep up with the 250 GTOs around Le Mans. Um, since then, they've been worked on and tuned. And these days, you know, as we all see in the Goodwood Revival, a lightweight E-type is, you know, it's the thing to have in the in the tourist trophy race. You know, they go out and they win it a lot. So, yeah, wonderful thing, wonderful looking thing, amazing history. So I, I've really turned on to these cars recently, in the last few weeks actually, because I was lucky enough to drive a lightweight E-Type, although a continuation, one of the six continuations that Jaguar Classic built recently. And I... I adored driving it it was it was a honey and it, i drove it on the same day that i drove a, a c-type continuation so again a new car but based on a design that was a decade older and this thing confused me and made me feel uncomfortable the c-type i mean um and i didn't fit fit in it and it was difficult then i drove the the e-type lightweight and it was a revelation you know it just felt like a modern car to me um, so the, the progress that Jaguar made in that decade was truly staggering. One of the interesting things about the, this consignment is that it doesn't have a guide price. Um, now, we are going to talk to Mark Osborne from Bonhams. He's Global Director of Motorsport in, in a moment. And we'll see if we can tease um, an estimate out of him because it'll be interesting to know. If you had to guess, how many millions? Difficult, isn't it? <sighs> Well, because it's not 250 GTO money, is it? Even though it's no, it's a not. Rare if, it's, if it was 250 GTO money, I mean that could be 30, 35 million. It won't be that um, because it wasn't as successful. And even though it's rarer than a 250, imagine that rarer than a 250 GTO, much rarer <laughs> than a 250 GTO. It doesn't have that heritage. I think you're talking single. No, you're definitely talking single digit millions. Um, but yeah, but but you know, four or five, something like. that. I mean, I guess it just depends if there's. You know, only one person in the room who wants it, that's one thing. But if you get two billionaires who care more about the car than they do about the price, and they both want it, sky's the limit. And we see this, don't we? You, we get these sort of contests um, <laughs> where, where, where they, they want to be the one who goes, I can't afford it. So they just keep going. Um, so, I mean, that could be really, really exciting. Um, can I do a car now? Yeah. The 1995 Porsche 911 993 GT2. Ooh, yes yeah very cool i know these cars i was so scared in one of those once there's a picture <laughs> in an old issue of autocar of me driving one of these things and if you look at the picture what you'll see is um the camera's pointing at the car which is coming around the corner and it's sort of head-on shot and there's a bit of armco barrier and the car is beautifully lit up it's wonderfully sideways i'm at the wheel doing my thing and you'd think i was just some driving <laughs> god what you don't know is just how close i came to reducing the global population of 993 GT2s by one in the course of having that photograph taken. I was so scared. I was so busy. I mean, properly spiky car. Really, really <laughs> spiky car. Um, and that's one of the things I love about it. I love the fact that it's, you know, it's a 911 with consequences. Um, and they are incredibly rare. They're amazing to look at because they've got those bolted on wheel arches and you can still see where they bolt them. And... You know, and I mean, talk about price. I mean, this one is guiding at eight fifty to one point two million dollars. Yeah, yeah, that which be is a, a million pounds, car. isn't it? That's a seven-figure car, isn't it? That is bananas yeah. because 
I think in the last sort of 15 years, maybe 20 years, they have really gone nuts, those GT2s, haven't they? Maybe it's 10 years. Yeah. Um, because but, 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 but again, you know, it's a, what is it? It's a nearly 30 year old, 30 year old car. But, you know, we think about a modern GT2 RS and you think, well, where did that lineage start? That's where it started. I mean, it was, that was, that 911 GT2 was the first of the, they'd done RS, they'd done the 27 RS and they'd done the 993 RS, which are both lovely cars. But, you know, even the 993 only had 300 horsepower. This had, I think, 430. But delivered with, you know, <laughs> with purpose Gusto. Um, and, in a, and in a very particular way. Um, and from that car, you know, that's where that line started. And I think it's an important car. I think it's a beautiful car. I think it's a wonderful car. I think it's a scary car. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd like to shake the hand of the man or woman who buys it. Um, right. Let's give, a, give us one or two more of the, the cars that you're really looking forward to. And then we'll bring Mark in. Okay. Um, a car I didn't even know existed, which I'm really ashamed of. Go on. A Zanardi NSX. Yes, I saw this as well. Yeah, so this is like a sort of NSXS. It's a lightweight NSX. They only made 51 of them. Um, Zanardi needs no further introduction from us. Um, and yeah, basically, it was just a sort of opener. I think it had lightweight panels and they lost a lot of interior equipment and that sort of thing. I just... I love that the original NSX. I think that's a fantastically important and wonderful car made on the purest of engineering principles. And the idea of one which has been optimised like that uh, and done in the name of Alex Zanardi, um, well, all power to them. I think that's a great yeah. thing. Yeah, fantastic. Um, there's another one. Okay, this is my pre-war one, so I'm not, not going to dwell on it. I'll be really, really quick. But there's 1938 uh, Bugatti 57C. Oh, beautiful. Um, which is, I mean, and the body was designed by Jean Bugatti. Um, so, I mean, it couldn't be more blue-blooded. Um, Three-point litre, 3.3 litre, straight-eight, supercharged engine. Probably do certainly 110, maybe 120 miles an hour. I mean, it was the sheer of its day, plus, yeah. plus, plus. Um, and that's guiding at 2.8 to 3.4 million. Wow. Oh. Um, I was interested to see there's a BMW Z8 in there. Yeah. Fair enough, but that's you know that's a two hundred thousand dollar car now. They really have gone bananas. Yeah, they've they... gone absolutely. Which, given that we all gave them a kicking when they're new, and yeah. I think we, I think I've gone on this podcast and said we now regret that. Um, but it's interesting that, that how that car has been rehabilitated yeah. um, in later life. Yeah, when they were new, BMW really couldn't sell them, and prices just plummeted. You could pick one up for half price. Um, in the sort of couple of years after launch. If only we'd done that and held on to it. No one ever tells you this in advance, do they? <laughs> no. Okay, two more cars. I'm going to be really, really quick about this. Yeah. But again, it's, it's, it's interesting for a reason I'll get to in a minute. So there's a 512 BBI Boxer, 1981 Berlinetta Boxer. So this yeah. was the sort of last of the line of the Boxers, fuel injected, beautiful looking car. Um, and that's guiding at $180,000 to $230,000. But there's also a 1971 365 GTC4, which, if you remember, is the 2 plus 2 version of the Daytona, effectively. Mm. Um, it was more comfortable than the Daytona. It had rear seats. It had self-leveling rear suspension. It had power steering. And it, because it wasn't as exciting as the Daytona, it always lived in the, data, under the, you know, in the Daytona shadow. 
Um, but I've always had a thing for these cars. Mm. Uh, I've driven two or three of them now, and I've always thought they're the most underrated Ferraris. And interestingly, this old forgotten Ferrari is guiding at two seven five to three two five thousand dollars. So basically, what they're saying is it's worth a hundred thousand dollars more than a Boxer. And I'm just beginning to wonder whether the world has suddenly woken up to those things. And real, I mean, they are breathtakingly beautiful they're actually really good to drive i did went i did a job um for the wonderful enzo magazine before it very sadly shut and i got a daytona and a 365 gtc4 together and ultimately if you really really drove them in the way that frankly most people wouldn't drive those cars these days the daytona is a better car to drive but to just live with and go about your business and actually still punt over a decent road that old two plus two power steering self-leveling rear suspension mm. gt ferrari was just wonderful and presumably um, nothing like the money of a, day- a daytona no absolutely not and still nothing yeah. like the money of a daytona um because i guess it's not a daytona it's you know it's it, 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 it's perceived to be compromised for all those reasons because of the power steering and the, the rear seats and all that sort of thing but it's not mm. it's basically like a daytona you can use and I know you can Fantastic. use Daytona. I know the people who listen to this who have Daytonas who will say that's ridiculous. <laughs> but you know, having spent a day with the two of them on the same road, I think what I concluded was that, as you know, part of a collection, you'd have the Daytona because you know there'd be times when only that would do. But if you could only have one car like that, I'd have the three six five GTC four because you could just enjoy it more more often. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see that certainly in America, at least. Um, the value of those cars are starting to be um, appreciated. And, oh, yeah, one last one. Um, again, about values. Porsche 356A Speedster. Porsche Speedster. I mean, just iconic. Uh, almost all of them were sold to America. It's one of those cars that, you remember the American importer, Max Hoffman, yeah. um, who, who was the bloke who went to Mercedes and said, build a Gullwing, went to BMW and said, build the 507. He went to Porsche and said, we need... Uh, cheap, affordable, stripped out 356. And he created the Speedster, which is why they all went to America. This thing now, okay, it's a it's a 100-point restored Concorde condition car. 385 to $485,000 for a 356. That's nuts, <laughs> isn't it? It's 400K. Jesus. <laughs> but, may, but maybe not to the right person who want, if that's what you want. Yeah. You know, they're very, very rare and they're very, very beautiful and they have that sort of, I don't know almost james dean type iconography about them mm. yeah i mm. do understand that i do understand that um oh, it's packed full of interesting cars this catalogue isn't it, it? Is. um well let's bring in mark from bonhams and just find out a little bit more about the sale mark osborne welcome to this episode of the podcast um I, i'm intrigued by your job role your job title global director of motorsport i don't think job titles get much cooler than that uh what does that mean? Does that mean you you hunt out special racing cars to consign? Yes, it does. And uh, no, it's interesting. The uh, my my job has sort of morphed to this point because I've always had a um, an interest in motorsport and motor racing, and I do a little bit myself. And um, so most of the competition cars, the top level competition cars that arrive at Bonhams, um, tend to make their way over to me and I'll take a look at them and vet them and pass comment and advise either way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting part of the job. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I'm looking back at quail now, 25 years ago, 
um, I'm now one of the one of the senior guys. In in that 25 years, what's the not necessarily the most valuable or the most expensive? What's the racing car that you've been most proud to have consigned? What's the one that really sticks out? Okay, that that's a great question. So. I had a I met this um met this guy Stan Hallinan who was something of a hermit actually and um he had this great collection of cars and the the the, the I think probably the best car he had was a Lister uh Chevrolet Nobly great yeah. thing great thing he had purchased it as kind of new old stock. It was a Cunningham order, unfulfilled, and Stan purchased it as new old stock. And he, this is about 1960, 61, he did one or two sort of very minor Jim Carner events in the early 60s um, and then pretty much put the car in, a, in his barn on his land in New Hampshire. And... Um, yeah, I used to love going to see Stan, and he had a he had a fantastic Cobra, incidentally that we got a world record price for. It's a two sixty, uh, but I always love the always love the Lister. Um, sadly, he passed away. It was, it was he was getting on a bit, um, but he had requested um, that um, the family give me a bell, uh, and they did, and we consigned it to Quail Lodge, and it was just this super totally original thing probably the most original 1950s sports racing car i've ever seen to get it out of the barn we we had to employ three or four guys with chainsaws because the 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 woods the forest had grown up (laughs) around the barn so we needed to sort of deforest to get the thing out but it was it was just to see it was a time capsule and yeah. it was such a wonderful thing, and we sold it. We sold it very well, and um, and Stan would have been proud, I'm sure. I mean, genuinely, original listers are fairly hard to come by anyway, aren't they? Let alone one which is in sort of as last raced form. Correct, correct. I mean, th- this th- this thing was just absolutely exceptional. I mean, I was, you know, <laughs> thinking of selling <laughs> selling organs to China to be able to afford to buy it myself, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, a, but a lovely thing, and I've I've raced against them over the years. So I've always I've always admired them on and off track. But this one, Stan's car, was special, and um, I still think about the car, and I I think about the time that I spent with Stan, and and both were special. So the key that, that you make an interesting point about originality, and I suppose the thing with racing cars is that when they are brand new, they're as they were when they came out of the factory, and then over the following years, often. They will be modified um, and they will be adapted and changed for different categories or for to make them more competitive. Um, and, and, that process, and they get crashed and repaired. Um, and that process goes on and on because no one's thinking about originality during the car's first 10 years, are they? Um, and so it might become a significant car 50 years hence, but it's totally different to how it was when it was first raced. Well, I think you're spot on. I mean, they're, they're, if you think of frontline racing cars certainly from the 1950s but for, from the 60s as well it would be very unusual for them to end up um present day mm. without having been repaired and restored and repaired and restored again yeah um 
so yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you look at those wonderful old archive photographs of racing back then, you know, a car would have a a prang on lap two. It had come in. The mechanics would get the hammer out and bang the thing out, and maybe maybe put some tape over it, and away it would go. And of course, now we see these cars on the on the Concours lawn as if nothing, nothing <laughs> at all has happened. ever happened to them. <laughs> Um, so we're here really to talk about the Quail Lodge auction coming up um, on the 19th of August. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about Quail itself and what makes this auction special. It's clearly a big one from Bonham's point of view. It is. It's, it's, the, um, it's the jewel in the crown um, in terms of the sales that we, yeah. we put on in the United States. It's one that the specialists look forward to. It's one that the international team look forward to because you get a ton of requests from people wanting to to come over and help, inverted commas. <laughs> um, no, it, it, it's great. We've been there for um, we've been there for a long time. It's an absolutely fantastic spot. Um, lots of lawn, lot of space. Very easy parking. Um, so from that perspective, it's lovely. It's 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 a super venue, and it's certainly one of the must attend events during Monterey Car Week, which of course is now Monterey Car Ten Days or Twelve Days or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah. And um, is there, in terms of the the consignments, the cars up for up for sale? Is there a general theme? I've been looking through the catalogue. It just looks like there's an enormous spread from across the ages, um, lots of different types of car. Um, what do you think? Well, a, a typical Bonham sale has has it all from mm. from, from the primitives, I call them, the, um, <laughs> the sort of uh, Brighton-type cars, and I've selected one of those actually for you, but right the way up to now the, the, the modern supercars. Um, you know, we have to cater for... Um, you know, the guy that wants to go do London to Brighton, um, we also have got to cater for that guy that wants to buy a modern supercar, McLaren F1 or something like that. So you've, you've really got to have everything. And you've got to have all price points as well. I mean, there, mm. there are guys that, you know, want to go and they'll, they'll have fun spending sort of forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 equally. And they might want to buy a lightweight E-type Jaguar for considerably more than that on, on, on exactly that point i noticed in the catalog the lightweight e-type jaguar i expect you're talking about uh the cunningham car uh, is referred apartment um yes it's the only car i can see which doesn't actually have a guide on it um what do you think is likely for that car yeah that's a good question isn't it um well the reason that we put refer to department on on those cars is because we we really want to engage with yeah. with people, so it, it's it's put there. So they bend up and say, "Mark, you know, I love your Cunningham. What what do you think it's going to do? And what do I think it's going to do? It, it's 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 five, it's six, it's maybe seven, and it could be north of that if you wow. if you've got the right guy um, who decides that he wants blue chip." thoroughbred white chocolate you know to, to go racing and if you look at the 
if you look at the comps out there that are the purebreds, you've what have you got? I mean, you guys know it's it's a it's a GTO, isn't it? It's maybe a Project Aston, it's maybe a Cobra Daytona. Well, you know, this car is going to put you a little bit ahead of most of those cars, Daytona Cobra maybe, but maybe not, um, on the grid, and it's a fraction of the yeah. money that you would spend to buy any of those other three, right? So it's positively cheap. I think it's good value, actually. I mean, yeah. I sit here and say that with, you know, tuppence halfpenny in my back pocket, but I think it's a great thing. I suspected that was going to be one of your highlights. It's certainly one of ours. But give us a couple of other cars that you're really looking forward to seeing come across the block. Well, yeah, I did choose that. And I, obviously, that's my kind of thing. I love the racing. But they... Something something caught my eye, a little bit unusual for me, which was the, it's a 1903 Winton, mm. um, not number 21, 24 horsepower. And for years, I've had my mate say to me, oh, come on, Mark, you know, you, you're a car guy. You, you've got to do the London to Brighton, to which my response has always been, it's exactly because I'm a car guy that I'm not <laughs> going to do the London to Brighton. <laughs> You know, I, I looked through the catalogue and I, I saw this thing and I thought, okay, this has got 4.3 litres uh, in two cylinders, through two cylinders, 24 horsepower, and it looks bloody comfortable. So I thought, if I'm, if I'm going to do this thing, this is the car that I would do it in. Because, I, you know, I, I'd look at this thing with, its, uh, with all of this power and I'm thinking, I can get down to Brighton in about 22, 23 minutes. So I guess, I guess I'll put it out there and say, look, whoever buys this thing, um, I'll passenger up, we'll head down to Brighton, we'll find the most expensive restaurant down there and I'll buy the guy lunch. And then I can say <laughs> to all of these so-called car guys that are so-called friends of mine that, that I've done it and I never have to do it again. <laughs> but I think it's a. I think this is a great thing, actually. I mean, le- levity aside, it's it's a big American bruiser, and I think that's the way to do London to Brighton. That's a great idea, a- Andrew. When when Mark does do the London to Brighton, because that clearly has to happen, what will he find? Briefly, he will find. Oh, I mean, I did it once in a nineteen hundred nap- Napier, and the fact that I haven't yet found the. The desire to do it again probably tells you all you need to know. I mean, to me, it's a great event to have done. It's not necessarily a great event to do at the time. Um, it's, it's uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know. What happens is you get to a hill and everything stops. And everybody leaps out of their cars with their chocks. And I, I, did, I did this and I, I started to chock the car I was on. And they went, no, 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 chock the car in front, which was rolling back down the hill towards us. Uh, and then when everything has stopped the car that got furthest up the hill gets pushed by everyone else to the top of the hill and so on until the blockage is cleared and then you carry on your way to Brighton. Um, it's unbelievably cold because they do it in November for some bizarre masochistic reason. Uh, the weather's always filthy. But there is, there's an undeniable charm to it. I think you have to be a certain sort of person and I'm altogether too comfort-loving and lily-livered to, for that person to be me. And although... It's not an appeal that I find massively attractive. I do understand, and I, more than anything else, I do admire the people who do it. Brilliant. Yeah, I, 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 I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I mean, I think, I think uh, the Napier must have been fantastic, actually. But, I mean, I, I look at this and I think, you know, 
15 miles per hour heading down to Brighton in the pouring rain. Why? You know, but, yes. but I take your point and I go back <laughs> to the Winton with its uh, with its 22 minute time down there. And I'm thinking this could be the only car to to get me down there. Yeah, 24 horsepower. You'll get up the hills. No problem, wouldn't you? Oh, I think there's, so. a, there's a bloke called Tim Scott who does it in an 03 Benz, which does like 70 miles an hour. I mean, he beats the normal traffic down there. Um, and that's the way to do it. However, I mean, you'd, you, you'd be able to tell me how many millions of pounds an 03 Benz is. Plenty, I would think. Mark, let's have, let's have another highlight. Okay, so the, the third, third car I've picked out here is, um, is this... 250 Ferrari 250 Europa GT it's lot number 50 in the sale and this appeals to me I'm all about all about 1950s style and this is from the mid 50s it's 55 it's the last of the um of the Europa GTs and I I just I imagine the guy turning up at the factory and getting the keys from Enzo Ferrari and driving it home to Monaco and then deciding he wants to be a race driver. So he heads to Spa, as this car did, slaps some racing roundels on the side, puts a, puts a set of overalls on. But, but at the same time, this guy's got a shirt and a tie, and the tie's probably Hermes, and he's, he's got his Gucci loafers on and a string-back driving glove. And he drives around Spa, and he, he takes the roundels off and then drives back to Monaco. And I just think there's a real there's real appeal for these cars where you have the opportunity mm. to look great on the road, to do some wonderful rallying, but also if you wanted to, to to, to get it on a track or or do some competition events. Uh, it's a very stylish thing, and it's it's got uh, yeah, it's obviously three liters with with enough horsepower, you know. And I think with cars like that, the the joy of cars like that is you can do anything with them, can't you? It's, it's all about, to me, it's all about eligibility. What can you do with the car? Because frankly, if all you can do is stick it in a garage and look at it, it's not really doing much for you. But if you can, you can go and do you know, tour auto in it, you can race it, you can cruise around the south of France. And it, you know, there's no one who wouldn't have you on their grid. There's no one who wouldn't have you in their event. And that just means, you know, I've always thought that the amount of fun a car can provide is how enjoyable it is to drive, multiplied by the number of times you get to drive it. Um, and this is that, isn't it? It's a car you can use for absolutely anything. I think you're, I think you're spot on, Andrew. And I, I would add to that and say that the conversations that I've been having with my clients, certainly over the last um, couple of years, two, three years, where they have you know, 30, 40 cars in a collection, but, but that yeah. car sitting over in the corner, well, I haven't driven that for five years. Yeah. And I, um, I've honed down one or two collections because the, um, the guy said, look, Mark, I want to do Goodwood. I want to do Monaco. I want to do Spa. I want to come over and do the um, Laguna Sacre event with you. And foolishly, they've also added London to Brighton in there as well. But they've, they, <laughs> they're, they're, they're sort of, they're choosing what they have in their collection and saying, right, well, in, in May, I'm going to don't go and do this. You're going to come and join me, Mark. And in June, we're going to do this. And in November, we're going to go and do this. So you're dead right. I mean, you know, people are focusing their collecting habits 
on the various weekends that they can get out and have some fun. Yeah. And, you know, these guys that are spending two, three, four, five million dollars on a car, they, they actually want to use it now. Um, so that's, Great. that's the way things seem to be heading. Fantastic. Um, we don't want to keep you forever, Mark. So give us one more um, and then we'll let you get on with your day. Yeah, that's what I've got, actually. I, I picked out those three for, yeah. for, those, for those various reasons. I think um, uh, the, the, the lightweight Jag is, is really something, uh, lightweight Jaguar is really something that has, has taken me. I mean, of, of all the cars in the sale, that's the one that I would, that's the one that I'd like to drive away in. So this is a car that took, with, with, with its two sisters, took part at Le Mans um, as part of the sort of official Briggs Cunningham lightweight E-type entry in 1963. Um, I don't think it lasted very long, but it then went off and had quite an illustrious race history after that, didn't it? Well, it, it did, yes. And, and all of that, I think they made about 12 of these things. And I think they're very, very special cars. I think they're great value for, um, great value for money when you put them against the cars that we mentioned earlier on um and of course nowadays when you've when you've got ollie crossweight and co you know really producing some some horsepower for these things a, a, yes. a, a lightweight jaguar i mean you've you've been to the revival meeting of course you know the lightweight jaguars they make up the um you know half half of the top six spots don't they on the Absolutely. i think it's yeah. a um uh, you know, bang for the buck. I think uh, e- even at uh, even at the six seven million dollars, it's it seems like good mon- good value for money to me. Fantastic. Well, we'll find out what it does go for on August nineteenth. Um, all the best of luck for the sale. Um, it'll be fun to to follow it. August the nineteenth, eleven a.m. local time, seven p.m. UK time. There's a link in the description of this podcast for anyone who wants to go and find out more about the sale. Um, Mark, thank you for your time, um, and I'm sure we'll speak again soon. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Mark. All the best.